We just finished uh, our VBS, as you know, and had a wonderful time. And uh, there's that mixed feeling of exhaustion and exhilaration. Um, I think we all feel that physically tired, but, but uh, spiritually very invigorated. And uh, thank you so much for your prayers. I know um, those many of you who were there, certainly I know you guys prayed, but I know also we had prayer support from the church, and, and we could feel it. Uh, it was uh, just a wonderful time. God blessed our time, and we had, um, I got to do the Bible lesson, Campfire Bible Stories, and um, certainly stretched me. I'm not a drama guy usually, but uh, we had a lot of fun, and, um, and it was wonderful to watch the children and the responses and what was going on. Kids, they were uh, eyes wide open, paying attention, and then the feedback I heard, too, and I, I know, uh, I didn't get to tell the whole team this, the feedback I heard consistently over and over again from parents was that this was great. Our kids have come home. They're telling us the stories. They're excited. They had a great time. So, uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for what you have done, those that served, those that prayed, and the difference it's making in those lives. Um, some of those kids would grow up in families where they're going to hear the gospel. Some would grow up in families where they're not. And there were seeds sown uh, that week. And I think some of the families were families that had drifted from church. And the seeds that were sown affected the children. And I heard stories of that, how that affected the parents as a result. So, so thank God. Thank God for the wonderful fruits of the week. Our theme for the week was Jesus, our forever friend. And coincidentally, actually, I better put providentially, that's our text today. It's based on the text from John 15. So I promise I'm not going to do any of the songs, guys, or anything. We learned how to do hand motions and sign and so forth. But, but we are going to look at this text. It's a wonderful section of Scripture packed with powerful truth. And it's always a daunting task to preach God's Word because God's Word is just full of truth. And uh, I cannot do it justice. So I'm going to do my best. We're going to rely on the Lord for this. But I also encourage you just to take home what you've Received, take home the text this week and just read through John 15 and let the Word of God soak in and have its wonderful effect in our lives. But certainly we trust God is going to use this time as well. He loves to speak and He's called uh, His servants to preach His Word, called us to be listeners to the preached Word. So with that in mind, let's go to Him and pray and ask Him to be here with us and to speak. Lord, we just thank You for the truths in this passage. We thank You for Your Word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness and your presence, Lord. Lord, we depend on you. I depend on you as a weak vessel. Thank you for just your mercy, your, your forgiveness, and your power to serve your people. So come, Holy Spirit, and be with us. And, oh God, we ask that you would speak to us. You are the living God, and when you speak, things happen. Life happens. Glory happens, Lord. And we just thank you. You are speaking, God. So come, O oh God, and speak to us this morning. And be exalted. Change our lives, Lord God. Do your wonderful will, we ask. And we look forward to how you're going to use this time, how you're going to show yourself glorious and strong in our weakness. We love you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's take a look at John 15, 1 through 17. This is on the night where Jesus was betrayed as they're getting ready to actually leave the upper room and go out into the Garden of Gethsemane, perhaps even on the way to the Garden 
Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I I command you so that you will love one another. John 15, 1-17. And Jesus makes another one of his I am statements here, actually the the final one in in John. He says, I am the true vine. And then he goes on to call his people to abide in that vine. And that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about that he is the true vine. And then we're going to talk about what it means to experience life in the vine, in Christ. And as I said, this, this discussion is going on during the the evening before he was crucified, the night that he was betrayed. And he's bringing instruction to his disciples because he's soon going to die and and be apart from them. Um, Certainly he's going to be raised three days later, but he's instructing them as he gets ready, looking forward to the point when he would depart from them. So he's equipping them. He's teaching them. And he communicates that he's the true vine and then builds on this picture, this word picture, this word image or metaphor of the vine. But is that all he's doing here? Is he just using a nice metaphor to explain 
to his disciples what it is, who he is, and what it is to live in him? Or is he doing something more? Is he saying something more than just, I'm the one that you need to plug into and stay related to? Why does he say, I, I am the true vine? If he were trying to just use a metaphor, would he not just say, I am the vine, you are the branches? But he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Anyone have a guess what he means by that? Eddie? Good. Good. Excellent, Eddie. That's, that's very, I think, very close and essentially what he's talking about. Yes, the word for true vine can also be interpreted as I am the genuine vine. I'm the real and genuine vine. I'm the true vine. So there must be some vines out there that aren't genuine. And certainly he could mean other false teachings. But I think he's pointing to, as someone who knew his Bible, to people who knew their Bible, to the use of this vine metaphor in Scripture. So if you took time to look in your Old Testament, you'd find a number of instances where this idea of a vine is presented. So if you could put up uh, the verse, John, Isaiah 5. There's, uh, I'll just show you a couple sections of Scripture that talk about the vine. The vine in Scripture represents the people of God. It represents Israel in the Old Testament. So Christ is saying something about Israel being the vine and, and He being the vine. So Isaiah chapter 5 uh, verses 1 to 7 have this. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved, speaking of God, had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Verse, the next verse. Uh, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So there is the nation of Israel seen as the vine or the vineyard. And this vine, the nation of Israel, largely failed the Lord. He planted, planted this vine. He blessed them. He spoke his word to them. He revealed his glory to them. And yes, there was good fruit. There was some good fruit, but largely there was great failure of this previous vine. You can put up that next verse in Ezekiel, just another reference to this, the, the whole idea. Some of the same words that Jesus uses in John 15 are here. And the, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest, is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. So Ezekiel is, or the Lord actually through Ezekiel, is saying that when a vine is no longer fruitful, it's useless. And you take that and you burn it. It's fuel. And so Jesus in John 15 is referring obviously to this in other scriptures. Uh, so when he says these things to his disciples, they are understanding what he means. When he says, I am the true vine, 
and you are the branches, they are immediately going to connect their understanding of their Bibles with the people of God. We are the vine. And now Jesus says, I am the true vine. Though God had been so gracious to Israel, they largely failed. But even as that went on, God had in mind a true vine who would come from Israel. A true vine who would come from Israel and all the things that Israel failed to do, really all the things that mankind failed to do, the true vine would fulfill. The obedience required of Adam, the true vine Jesus would fulfill. The obedience required of Israel, Jesus would fulfill. All that He wanted in relationship with the nation of Israel and in righteousness, Jesus would fulfill. He came to fulfill all righteousness and to be the true vine. What God wanted and calling Israel, Jesus would do. And that Jesus would love the Father with all His heart, all His mind, all His soul, all His strength. He would love His neighbor as Himself perfectly. And even to the point, even to the point of going to the cross. He would obey the Father and love Him and fulfill our righteousness even to the point of going to the cross, obeying the Father to the point of a shameful, horrible death. And in that death, bearing the justice of God towards sinners. So bearing the full justice of God, the full holy wrath of God for sin. So His obedience was complete and perfect. He did everything that, that God had designed for Israel, for mankind. He fulfilled all righteousness. And He paid for the sins of God's people. And then God said, yes, I approve. And raised Him from the dead three days later. So He rose victorious as the true vine, ultimately on that third day, and ascended. So He is the true vine. He is the true Israel. Now we're going to have some. Uh, we're going to have a good time coming up in late July through till almost Christmas time. We're going to spend time in a series looking at Christ in the Old Testament. And really, what we're going to do each of those messages in that series, we're just going to look at how Christ came and fulfilled some aspect of promise, some aspect of the Old Testament. We're going to use the New Testament to do that. So we're going to. Look at how the New Testament communicates that, like here and other places, and just look at how Christ came and fulfilled all righteousness. And we're going to begin, I think, I hope, through this to learn even more just how Christ really is the fulfiller of the entirety of Scripture. He is the center. He is the interpretive key, the way we understand Scripture. It all points ahead to Him or points back to Him somehow. He is the center. And certainly as the true vine, He came. And He fulfilled all righteousness. He was the perfect man. He earned heaven because He obeyed everything God called Him to do. He did everything. He did it perfectly. He did it thoroughly. He did it to the point of death on a cross. He did it to the point of bearing your sin because God had in mind some other things with the true vine. He had some branches in mind that would be attached to that vine. But something needed to be done about those branches. Your sin separates you from God. So He put on the Son your sin. And then He bore the full wrath of God. He was obedient to that point of death, shameful death on a cross, to pay for your sins. And they're paid for completely. He fulfilled that and earned heaven. 
the only human who has earned heaven. The only human, the only man or woman who will ever earn heaven. So if you think you can earn heaven, just forget about it. You'll not ever earn heaven. You'll never fulfill all righteousness like the Son did. But He did. And the wonderful thing, the wonderful truth in John 15, the wonderful truth in Scripture, is that He has included in Himself many, many, countless numbers of people who are attached to Him through faith. Who through hearing this wonderful news of His righteousness and death for sin and resurrection have said, yes, I believe. And yes, I want Him to be my forever friend, as we talked about last week. I want to follow Him. I want to know Him. And all those who put their faith in Him are swept up with Him to heaven as well. We never earn heaven, but in Him, as we are attached to Him through faith, we are counted righteous. Our sins are put on Him, paid for. His righteousness is credited to us through our relationship with Him, through being included in Him. We too get to go to heaven because He earned it. So He is the true vine. He is the true Israel. And in Him, we as well are part of the vine and we are as well are counted as true Israel. All people, Jew and Gentile, who would attach themselves to Christ through faith are included in Him. So I'm excited for this series coming up. It'll, uh, we'll start at the end of this month and just learn more about our Savior. Just learn more about how He fulfilled all things, fulfilled Scripture. And really, the most important thing about our text today is what it says in those first few words. I am the true vine. That's the most important thing about the text today. And we could just stop there, and that would be more than enough truth for us. He is the true vine. He is the one who fulfilled our righteousness. He is, he is the perfect Son. It's the most important thing about this text. And you know what else? For you as a believer, it's the most important thing about you as well. It's the most important thing about me. The most important thing about us is not us. It's Him. He is the one. One of my children some years ago was asked um, by somebody who was trying to help him uh, be coached in a certain area. Actually, he was acting and so forth. And asked my, one of my sons, tell me something good about you. And, and my son said, well, um, Jesus died for my sin. And the, the person said, no, 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 about you. He said, well, um, Jesus loves me. <laughs> and I said, and I was just saying, good answer. <laughs> good answer. That, that's the truth. Now, God, now, not to diminish that we are made in God's image and there's a dignity in us because of that, but ultimately, the most important thing about us is Him. He is the true vine. He is the champion. He is the one who's fulfilled our righteousness. And we're attached to Him. So He's our boast. He's, a, he's the one we delight in. Uh, recently, my niece uh, became, uh, earned all scholastics in tennis as a doubles partner. So she got, her, she got to be in the globe and all that. And um, it's wonderful to see that. My father actually was an all-scholastic in basketball years ago. Played for Brighton High School, 23 points a game, back when the city schools were the, the best schools around. Sadly, it skipped a generation. None of us were all-scholastics. I could have been. I could have been. <laughs> could have been. 
But I wasn't, and I don't have any boasts of my own. But, but there's, a, there's a, a pride, for lack of a better word. There's a boasting that comes when you know somebody who's done something great. My dad, though uh, we tease my dad. We say it was you know, back before they did it the way they do it now, so it doesn't count. But my dad and my niece, there's a sense of, of boasting and happiness in, in, in their achievements. How much more so in Christ? Christ is better than an all-scholastic. Christ has won the most essential award, the most important award that there could be given. The Father has said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. The Father was well pleased with the Son in every way. He delights in the Son. The Son pleased Him always and fully in every way. His delight is in the Son. And His Son has won the best award. His Son has won heaven. His Son has won the right to sit at the right hand of God as King. And He's our brother. He's our elder brother. So let us boast in this all-scholastic. Let us boast in this one, the true vine. And find our life and our joy in Him. Our righteousness. Our everything. Find our identity. Find our esteem, our Christ esteem in Him, ultimately. So Christ is the true vine. And what He does in the rest of this section of Scripture is talk about the implications of that. To really tease out what does it mean that He's a true vine and if we are related to Him, how then should we live? So He goes on to talk about life in the vine. And so, life in the vine is life under the Father's care. Life in the vine is life of abiding in the vine. Life in the vine is a life of obeying. And life in the vine is a life of fruitfulness. And we're just going to touch on that from this text. First, life in the vine is life under the Father. He says, the Father is the vine dresser. He says, I am the vine. I am the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. The Father supervises the vineyard. The Father is over the vine and He's over all the branches. And the Father in His job, intending the vineyard and owning the vineyard, is to prune and to pare. To pare in the sense of removing dead wood. To prune in terms of improving live wood. He pairs and He prunes. He takes out the parts of the vine that are lifeless, that are dead, and, and cuts them off. And the reality is, is, throughout the history of the people of God, there have always been folks that seem attached to the people of God, seem attached to God, but are not. Are not attached. That there's not life there. There's not life in them. Now, when I say that and when I think about preaching this sort of thing, I'm, I'm concerned for you guys because I know the things that go on when I make a statement like that. The question is, oh no, maybe I'm not a live branch. Maybe I'm a dead branch. And then the, the temptation is to, to go from here and that's what you get out of the message and you worry all this week about it. And I just want to help you sort through that. First off, if you care about being a dead branch, that's a good sign because that means there's life in you. Because if you were a dead branch, ultimately you really wouldn't care that you were a dead branch. As a matter of fact, you'd want to be a dead branch. 
But if you're a live branch and someone says you're a dead branch and you care about not being a dead branch, it means that you're a live branch probably, right? Because there's life in you. You are responsive to the Word of God. You are sensitive. You desire to follow God. You desire to belong to Him. That's a good sign. So your concern right now, don't let it go off. Let it be an encouragement to you. Your concern is a good thing. It means that there's life. And your responsiveness to the Word means that He's in you. And that is fruit. When He looks at you and sees that repentance, that's fruit. That means this is alive. So when the Father comes to you, He says, this is a live branch here. It's concerned about being a dead branch, but it's a live one. And I'm committed to this live branch. And I'm committed to this branch pruning it and helping it grow. Now, if you hear that and you really don't care, then you do need to be concerned. If you hear it and say, ah, live branch, dead branch, what does it matter? Then you need to be concerned because you might be a dead branch. Because there's not, that isn't a sign of life. And the truth is that the Father will deal with His vineyard. And He will prune off, pair off the dead branches. And so my appeal to you is if you don't care, is to, to care because the result of being paired off is to be cast off and burned. Jesus is speaking of eternal separation from the Father in darkness and sorrow. Beyond what you could imagine. There's a taste of God here. You've tasted the Lord. If you don't know Him and you're here, you're tasting Him. There's no taste of God there. So, so consider this. Consider the love of God. Consider His invitation to come and find your life in Him. For those that are attached, He carefully, though, works to prune and to create fruit, to deal with unfruitful areas. Part of uh, who here has pruned trees before? Pruned like a fruit tree? Or anyone pruned grape trees? Grapes? I've never done a, a vine. That would be great. I've never done that. I've done fruit trees, and one of the things you do in a fruit tree is you, you want to cut off the, the branches that are not fruitful branches that will pull away the energy from the rest of the tree. You prune those things so that the branches that are bearing fruit bear bigger and better fruit. And so the Father's committed to that in your life. He's committed to pruning and to bringing what we can call discipline to our lives through little things, through big things to prune so that there might be life and fruit for us. That's what the Father is after, is fruitfulness and life. The Father will have a vineyard that produces fruit. Now, His vineyard Israel failed in some ways. There were, and always were, a remnant that produced fruit. But by and large, as a nation, they failed. But the vineyard that He now has in Christ will be a fruitful vineyard. And He will have a bumper crop. And you are attached to, to Christ through faith, you will produce fruit. He's committed to that. Really, uh, if you are in Him, if you belong to Him, that is a sign of belonging to Him is fruit. And you belong to Him because ultimately He's chosen you and you're attached to Him through faith. So you don't earn the right to stay on the branch. You stay on that branch through connecting, through faith with Christ. And the Father works His pruning in our lives. He works out His pruning through many ways. I'm sure you guys have examples of this, how He's pruned you in your life. 
Uh, for me, one example I thought of was when I was in my 20s. And he prunes, I can give you an example from last week too, but this one is from when I'm in my 20s, about 15 years ago. And um, I was in my late 20s, so some of you are doing the math. So, yeah, well, it was like 18 years ago, whatever. I'm 43, I'll be 44 in September, okay? So, all right, I'm trying to hide my age. You're probably thinking, oh, you're not 35, but anyhow. And uh, when I was in my 20s, I was, uh, I was very impressed with myself, and I really wanted to leave my mark on the world. And uh, I was serving in a church at the time. I was a, a, a lay elder, which, which if I was in my church right now, I would, not, I would not allow me to be a lay elder. I wouldn't even allow me to be a deacon. Or I'd just say, buddy, just sit and learn and watch. Uh, but anyhow, I was, and I was very impressed with myself, and I just, I thought, you know, I want to make my mark on the world, and I decided I'm going to be a pastor. And so I was actually in a training program, and, and I started taking a day off a week to serve with the pastor and pray with some of the pastors in the city and everything, and, and um, just was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be a pastor, and, you know, just think about what will happen, how God will use me, and, you know, thousands won to Christ, the churches in the city transformed through my ministry. I didn't necessarily think all that, but that was the sort of thing. Well, anyhow, I asked my pastor what he thought about all that, just about me being a pastor. And he, uh, very bluntly, said, no, I don't see it. And so God shut the door on me. And I thought, well, okay, yeah, I can deal with that. No pastor. I know what I'll be. I'll be a professor. I'll go to school, go to grad school. I was a research engineer at the time. And I'll go to grad school, and I'll, I'll get my graduate degree. And, and, um, and then, you know, just with my massive intellect, I'll probe the, the limits of science and do good for humanity and just the impact on that. I didn't necessarily think all that, but a little bit of it. My wife's the best one to ask. She, she knows me better than I know myself, I think. But anyhow, uh, so I applied to grad school and I had interviews and everybody basically across the board said, your chances look excellent. You should, should be no problem. And so I'm starting to think, you know, what I'm going to do in the fall when I start. And I come uh, April, I didn't hear anything. And I called up and called up and finally they said, Mr. Buckley, uh, we rejected your application. And it was like the door slammed on me that time. And, and not just slammed, but it broke my nose in the process. And I blamed God. And I was right. God closed the door on me. But you know what? My reaction, I was actually angry and frustrated with God. And it was a really ridiculous thought. I just thought, you know, God, why don't you just leave me alone and let me serve you the way I want to? I'm a, which it just doesn't make any sense. But that was my attitude. It took me about six months to finally basically repent of my attitude. But you know, in that process, I learned some things. God dealt with a real driving ambition that was in my life. And, and not that it was totally gone after that, but he pruned off a major branch for me. And the result of that time was, you know, Lord, whatever you want me to do, really what my life consists of is in knowing you and serving you and your people somehow. It's not up to me whether I serve an obscure role or a great role. It's, and it's not necessarily valuable to me to serve in a great role versus an obscure role. What's valuable to me is that I know you and I get to love you and serve you and your people. So God shaped me through that. It was a very difficult time and I'm probably not capturing the angst I felt. I mean, I, I was, sadly, I was like, well, Lord, why do you even keep me alive? Why don't you just kill me? And never mind, I'm not thinking about my wife or my kids or anyone else, you know. I've got to be someone greater or you might as well take me. That was my attitude. I, I wasn't suicidal, but, but that was how bad it was. And God turned that around and dealt with me. So you probably have your own experiences of pruning. The Father is committed to pruning us. 
And He knows how to weave trials and circumstances and relationships in our lives in just the perfect way. He rules over that vineyard. He rules over your lives. And He works all things for good to prune you, to produce that good fruit. So life in the vine is a life under the Father's care. Life in the vine is a life of abiding or remaining. It's about being connected to the vine. To be in the vine is to be connected to the vine. And we are connected through faith. We are connected through faith based on the Word of God. So Jesus talks about this. He says to His disciples, you are already clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. saying, guys, you are in the vine. You are already accepted and cleansed through the Word. The Word being the Word of the Gospel, ultimately. Through the, the truth of the Gospel, through your faith. Now, you are attached to the vine. So, not to worry. You're in the vine. You're clean. You're, you're attached to Me through faith. But this, this connection to the vine is, is, is more than just an idea. It's a reality. We are, through faith, united with Christ, the vine. We are connected to Him in a, a connection that's relational and spiritual and a deep connection. It's a very deep connection. And we may not always feel it, but it is truth. For in John 17, later Jesus goes and He prays for us, for His people, that we might be one. And He says, just as the Father is in Christ, and just as you are, uh, I am in you and you are in Me, He says to the Father, so also may they be. So he's basically saying, may they be united together with us, just as I am with you and you are with me. So our union with Christ is of the same nature as the union of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, we are not divine, we are not God, but we are attached to them significantly. And John 17 would teach us that in other verses. It's amazing. Our connection, our union with Christ is intimate, it's vital, it's deep. We are connected to Him through faith. And we are to abide in Him. We are to depend on Him in every way. He is life for us. He nourishes us, grants us life. We find our life in Him. And He teaches His disciples that, guys, you can't do anything apart from this connection. He says in there, verse 4, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. In verse 5, apart from Me, you can do nothing. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. The idea that we can live the Christian life and somehow be a, a good person or do the right thing or have a meaningful life apart from Christ is ludicrous. And so He's telling His disciples, guys, you need to remain in Me. You need to abide in the vine. You need to relate to Me. You need to stay close. You need to, by faith, depend on Me. You need to find your life and your strength and your wisdom and your nourishment, your inspiration, your ability. You're all in all in Me. Stay connected to Me, guys. And he's saying to, the, to His disciples as He's getting ready to leave them, abide. You can't do it. You can do nothing apart from me. Anyone here try to ever try to do things apart from Christ? Yeah. Just about every day I do it. And and I and I 
I try to tell my children when I see them challenged by things, guys, pray about this. Commune with God as you face this challenge. And then I find myself later in the day facing a challenge. One of my greatest challenges is computers and dealing with computers. And just yesterday, as, as actually we were working on the slideshow, we had lots of trouble. And my temptation was try to do the computer thing apart from Christ. If I can just use my computer smarts, which are very little, and, and try to do this, you know, it'll work. And, and so many times it, it gets frustrated. I can do nothing apart from Him. I can really do nothing of true good apart from Him. He wants us to abide. And we are to abide with Him through His Word and through prayer. So verse 7, He calls us. He says, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Just in verse 7, He's weaving together the key elements of our abiding. His Word remains in us. The Word of the Gospel, the Word, the entirety of the Word of God is to remain in us and to be on our minds and to fill our minds and to saturate our minds, to wash our brains with truth, to impact our hearts, to be shared amongst one another. We are to abide in His Word. His Word has that function. It, it creates life. It keeps us connected to Him. And the other aspect of that is praying. He says, if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So there's this relationship of His Word filling us, filling our minds and forming our lives, and then inspiring our prayers as we talk back to Him and bring our request to Him, bring our praise to Him. So the picture of this connectedness is through the Word and through prayer and the power of the Spirit. He calls us to this, to pray continually, to cast our cares on Him, to bring our requests, and to know that He will answer. We are to abide. Question for you, believer. Are you abiding? Are you remaining in Him? Are you going to the Word? Are you desperate for the Word, for Him to speak to you through the Word? Are you desperate to bring your requests to Him? Or are you trying to do things without Him? He says, apart from Me, you can do nothing. You must remain. You must abide. We must abide. So a life in the vine is a life of abiding. Life in the vine is a life of obeying. Next. We are called to joyful obedience. Obedience isn't an option in the Christian life. Obedience is key for the Christian life. We are to obey. Obedience is very important. Very important. Now don't get me wrong. Obedience doesn't earn the right to be in the vine. You can never be the true vine. You'll never be the true vine. You'll never be righteous like He is. You'll never earn heaven. So that's what, this isn't talking about being obedient and earning the right to be in the vine. This is speaking of obedience coming, and coming from and characterizing your relationship with Christ. To be connected to the true vine is to be connected in such a way that He brings us life that results in obedience. Obedience is part of the fruit of the vine. It's part of the fruit that He produces in our lives. There is to be an obedience here. And this obedience enhances our relationship with Him. So when He says later on where He has obeyed, if you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. That there is an enhancement in our abiding that comes from obedience. 
As we obey His Word, we abide. We remain close. We remain connected. When we disobey, we start to pull ourselves away. Now, we all understand this. It's, it's reality, right? For families, if one of my children is honoring me as their dad and seeking to relate and honor and obey me as a, as a young child, there's a relational intimacy that's there. But if they start rebelling and saying, I don't, you, you dummy, I don't believe a thing you say, I want to go do my own thing, now there's a break in that relationship. They're still my children, whether they obey or not, and I, by God's grace, will deal with them <laughs> one way or the other with my wife. Similarly with the Lord. Obedience enhances our abiding. It blesses. There's a joy and a blessing that comes as we obey. And Jesus is specific in this passage about the sort of obedience that He's calling us to. It's obedience in terms of His commandment. And what is His commandment in this passage? What's the commandment that He's referring to that we are to obey? Love one another. That's right. So He's saying, guys, this is the particular way you are to enhance your abiding. Love one another as I have loved you. And then that verse, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for, my, for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. As you love one another and lay your lives down for one another. That's the sort of obedience that he's speaking of and calling us to here. And, and I just want to take a minute to say thank you guys for your obedience in this area, loving one another. And the fruit that's there, the fruit that's born, and how that enhances not only your relationship with the Lord, but our corporate relationship with the Lord together. There's a blessing that comes when God's people love one another. And part of the reason why it's always so hard to, to get you guys back to hear the preaching of the Word is because you love one another. You love to be with each other. You love and care for one another. You do this in need. And we've had different needs lately. Uh, certainly the VBS, to the way you guys have loved one another. You have loved the kids in the VBS. The way you've loved one another and caring for those who are sick. Ken and his surgery. I know Ken said again and again, it was just amazing how much the people of God love one another. And also thank you for your love for Todd and Jen in their season that they're in. I know already you guys have reached out to them. And uh, many of you already know that Jen has breast cancer. And they just found this week that it's spread to her liver. So there are spots on her liver. So you, so, uh, you can continue to pray. Pray for them. And continue to love them and care for them. And I know you guys will do that. And uh, there's great comfort that comes from that. There's great blessing that God brings that as well. So thank you so much for the ways you guys love one another and obey the Lord. Finally, in this section, thank you for your patience. I don't know how it got to be so late, but thank you for your patience as we continue. Life in the vine is a life of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness as well. God wants a bumper crop. He wants good fruit. And certainly the fruit of love is primary. He wants to produce that good fruit, love for one another, love for God, love for the lost too, I think, with that. So love. He also speaks of joy in this passage. He calls us to this commandment for our joy, that His joy might be in us and our joy might be full. One of the fruits of the Spirit 
Does anyone know which number in the list in Galatians? starts out with love. The next one is joy. The second fruit of the Spirit is joy. After love, as important as love is, joy falls right on after that. And joy is a deep gladness in God. It's a deep gladness in God. It's an outflow of being attached to the vine and being rescued from our sin to belong to God. It's the fruit of our salvation. It's a deep gladness. It's not necessary necessarily a silly happiness, neither a sober stoicism, kind of what people tend to think joy is one of those things. It's a deep gladness that shows itself in many ways. And it's a deep gladness that abides in times of great prosperity. It shines brighter than our circumstantial blessings. And it's a deep gladness that shines in times of adversity as well. When things might be hard, there's a joy there. Because you know God has rescued me from my sin and I belong to Him forever. And He's going to work out all things for good, for my good, for His glory. It's a deep gladness that drives our lives and characterizes our lives through sorrow and times of ease. It's a deep gladness. Do you know joy? He wants the fruit of joy to be in His people. It is to characterize us. One other fruit too that He alludes to in here, and we'll conclude, is also the fruit of loving and reaching out to the lost. Part of what He's doing here in this text, He's preparing His disciples for His departure. And He has said, the Father has sent Me. And He's about to say in John Uh, Chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Part of the fruit that He desires in our lives is is the impact of witnessing to others. It's the fruit of bearing witness to His life through loving one another, through proclaiming the truth, through loving others. So He wants this fruit in our lives of witnessing to others. And He is committed to pruning us for this purpose as well. He wants us to bear fruit of witnessing through the Word and through our love to His life. He sends us even as He has been sent. And I know this is on your hearts as well. I see it. I saw it last week in the VBS. Your heart for that. I see it in your lives. I see it and I hear it in your stories you share about your family and neighbors and friends and how you bring them to the Lord again and again. I see that. I see that in your care and your desire. May God prune us and nourish us in the vine to bear even more fruits in this area. If the, van, if the band could come up as we close. Jesus is the true and genuine vine. He has done it. He has fulfilled all righteousness. He has earned heaven. And He has granted grace to all those who would say, yes, Lord, I want You. I want to follow You. I don't want my sin. I want to belong to You. And He grants us grace, forgiveness to belong to Him and to be put into that vine, to be attached to Him so that we might be under the Father's supervision for our good, that we might abide with Him, that we might obey, and that we might produce good fruit. Let's pray.
Lord, we just thank You so much that You are the true vine. We thank You, Lord, that You are our hope and our strength and our righteousness and our life. We thank You that You have accomplished, fulfilled all righteousness and that the Father is pleased with You and through You, because of Christ, You are pleased with us. And You welcome us to be part of this vineyard to produce fruit. We thank You, Lord. And Lord, we pray that You would teach us how to abide. How to do that individually, Lord, but also how to do it corporately, Lord. Lord, how to abide as Your people through the ups and downs, Lord. How to abide as we care for one another in sickness and in trials. How to abide as we celebrate with one another victories and and times of celebration, Lord. Show us how to abide. Lead us, Lord, to obey this commandment, to love one another deeply from the heart. And Lord, may we produce good fruit for Your glory and our good, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close in song.